The amazing drama you're about to see is a matter of human record. You may believe it or not, but the real people who lived this story may believe it. Hello and welcome to a special edition of The Week at Work. This week I'm in conversation with Aubrey Robinson and we're talking about a recent paper by the UCD-based academic Pierce Daly that looks at institutional investors in the Dublin rental market. We found it fairly interesting and worthy of a show in itself because although there's a lot of talk and noise around this issue, there's very little empirical research has been done on it and Pierce Daly's paper does exactly that. As such, it's definitely worth reading and it's definitely worth interrogating um, at a much more deeper level. There's a link to Pierce Daly's paper in the blurb and uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. So we came across this paper by Pierce Daly, um, Institutional Investment in Housing Financialization 2.0 in the case of Ireland uh, Star. Before we get into it, like, can you give me some kind of background, like, like you've read this paper, mm. so what's your kind of overview of, of this, you know, I mean, like what's your take from it, you know, like it sounds like a very dry kind of title, yeah. it sounds kind of very, very dry, but both of us, apart from being in housing nerds, do find this fascinating, yeah. so I just want to maybe kind of tease that out. Well, this is a really accessible paper, I'll say, first of yeah. all, it's actually read- readable and it's written to be readable, he wants to... He wants to reach people in, at a policy level. He wants people to hear what he has to, what his findings are. And it primarily, it's an academic paper. Like he, he works in the central bank. He seems to know what he's talking about in terms of finance. But this is very much, you know, him as an academic in, I think it's UCD. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and he, he's at pains to say this is not the, you know, not the, um, the thoughts of the central bank no but what it is essentially is he has done the dog work and he has researched all the examples of institutional investment in ireland since 2012 2012 to 2021 so he's he's, he's created a database of of all the um purchases and investments by institutional investors. Mm. And so with that data, then he can then draw some conclusions. And that's that's essentially it. He's, he's, he's working with data and he's going, you know, for the first time we can start to see shifts and changes because of what I'm presenting. So he's not just going, you know, institutional investors are bad or they're doing this. He's going, this is what the data suggests. And that's what's very exciting about this because a lot of policymakers can draw upon it. Yeah, like, you know, like, like he focuses in on the, the institutional kind of landlords, uh, so it's REITs, it's IREs, it's, it's you know, it's it's the various kind of formats of it. Um, what I find interesting about it is that, like you know, he comes to, he comes to a conclusion that we've made, um, and also that uh, that Irigi have have done because, like Irigi did some of this work in in that dead website up on 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 the vulture landlords as. As they call them fucking political kind of reasons, but uh, but they but but they try to bring together as many of those sales and those projects as they could, and there are kind of similarities. Now he doesn't 
He doesn't siphon air in his, in his, in his footnotes, right? But he does, like it is interesting that, that the work that Irrigi have been doing, this, this confirms it. But it confirms it from an academic kind of background. And what, and what that confirms is that the, the institutional landlords are key players in Dublin. Yeah. I mean, it, like, it's more than doubled in the last six years, the share of, I mean, it's, it's insane, the, you know, the share of Dublin rental stock. You know, we're, we're talking about around 7,000 units in 2016, you know, doubled in three years to 14,000, which was 12%. And by the end, end of 2021, it was nearly 22,000 units, like 17% of all rental stock. So he's looking at the, the growing changes. You know, he's not, he's going, okay, so there's, these are actual numbers, but, the, but where is this going? You know, post-crash, all the, 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 the big funds, the private equity funds, they were all moving into commercial you know, with, with NAMA. So they moved in and it was all commercial. And so, you know, very little um, residential stuff. And then suddenly in his, you'll see in his graphs, if you look at the paper in 2018, suddenly there's a dramatic shift into residential. So who are these guys? Like, you know, who are these people? Who are these institutional investors? Yeah. Well, he actually has a list of the top 20 investors, which is really useful. I mean, it's just one of the best things about his dog work is that he's able to name names essentially mm. and it's you know it brings a lot of clarity so um since from around from 2012 to uh 2021 so the full for the full spectrum uh, these are the guys who are investing in um residential not not so he's excluded all the commercial all the commercial, stuff. All the commercial exactly. NAMA stuff that was the big sell yeah, yeah. first of all so at number one we have IRES REIT, so an Irish-based REIT, um, and the vast, vast majority of their purchasing was second-hand apartments. So of the four thousand apartments, about three and a half thousand were second-hand. No, when they say kind of second-hand, they mean they mean they mean buy it up. But they mean like they were pre-existing. So there, so that includes the ten thousand um, Nama. Uh, you know partners because I mean yeah. maybe second hand yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah so like you know because he doesn't make it clear in his in in his paper but it's my understanding that up until 2018 they were happy out because they were buying up the 10,000 or so and they, and they seemed to buy around kind of 8,000 of those kind of mm. 10,000 and now I'm a, um, Apartments, yeah, they're many kind of apartments yeah. who had tenants in them, yeah. Like, I mean, like, you know, these weren't all empty, there was, yeah. an, a, there was an idea that these were empty. No, yeah. they were in NAMA, but they weren't all empty. Mm. There, there was one kind of 4,000 things that they were actually kind of empty. And it's worth, it's worth pointing out, and it's why we shouldn't get too caught up in that kind of thing, whether it's a REIT or a private equity fund or whatever. The there's a there has been a lot of you know, a lot of the time, you know, um these private equity funds would move in early, buy up a huge portfolio of stuff off NAMA and then sell them on bit by bit. So the likes of IRES REIT would have come along and bought secondhand, you know, would have bought from other funds. It's the fact that an institutional owner, an institutional owner can do lots of things with them, but it's it's about what the nature of of the, the power and control and its impact on people, that, that's really the, the key thing. Yeah. But number two, you have someone who I hadn't heard of until recently, Ardstone Capital. Number two is a, an Irish-based private equity fund who were supported by the um, 
the Irish Strategic uh, Investment Fund. So they're, you know, they're supported and, you know, that fund would be, would be trying to push the government's program of, you know, providing capital for new, for new buildings. So unsurprisingly, the vast majority of what they've done is new uh, rather than secondhand. They've only 81 secondhand units, but they've 1,438 new uh, units. So new units, new units that they've invested in. These are all for rent and they're all apartments. I th- I believe they're all for rent. That's one thing that's not necessarily clear on this. But the the assumption is that this is a rental. Concept. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, like, you no, know, I you know, they're they're all rental. I mean, you know, Irish builders, you know, um, Cairn Homes and whatever would might uh, build to sell, but but this game is is a rental game because it's it's about you know, a, you know, a lot of these funds would have a huge portfolio of different things they do so they'd have commercial they'd have residential they have shops they have this and that and to balance a portfolio of things they might have some um residential and that you know they might see that as a part of their risk strategy in their portfolio like that's how it works it's not just that you know their 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 only thing they do is this so number three kennedy wilson who i talked about before u.s private equity fund um vast majority of second-hand apartments uh, all apartments vast majority of second-hand so that would be certain units they would have hoovered up amongst uh, big huge deals they would have done uh, early on so they got into the game by buying up you know um, I think it was Bank of Ireland's um, real estate business and they would have got a lot of this stuff and then they made a few investments and uh, then uh, um, DWS, which is Deutsche Bank, German uh, Reef, which is a real estate investment fund. Um, they're building a lot of new apartments or investing in a lot of new apartments. Then number five, Urbio, who I think we'll have to look at in, in its own way at some stage because of um, Urbio, who are known for, um, they were named as one of the cuckoo funds was buying up um, new builds in I think it was Kildare. Down here, it's known as um, that they have a, that that they have a one thousand two hundred and thirty eight new builds, but that just means that they bought new. Builds. Yes, yeah. They didn't build them. Well, they they might have built some, but they certainly bought. We know there's evidence that they bought a lot because there was government pressure then to step in, and and the awkward thing for the government, which is you know we've spoken about this before, is that they were going. You know, we're we're shocked that these cuckoo funds are doing it, but these guys were being funded by the Irish Strategic Investment Fund to help them do it. So they're buying up uh, privately built housing. Yeah. So Irish home builders are building houses. These guys are coming in and buying them and then renting them out. And they're doing it with a combination of like state funding, be it hmm. a direct through the ISIF or through tax breaks, hmm. which is a form of yeah. funding annually. So there's been a huge amount of geography papers and other papers written about REITs as the great big financialization tool, where it's actually, you know, there's a lot of other stuff happening, real estate investment funds and trusts and, you know, that that just don't get the same look. And that's one of the refreshing things in this paper is that he's actually going, no, let's look at it all. 
And by doing that, he kind of shows that apart from Ayres Reach, who who have a big role, I mean, they are the number one, you know, they're the number one um, purchaser of, of sec- certainly secondhand apartments in Ireland. So Ayres Reach, you know, have a dramatic amount of the vast majority. I think it's about three thousand. Um, 2009, nearly 4,000 uh, apartments um, purchased uh, since 2012 and only 740 were new. So, you know, they are the great hoover of second-hand u- apartment units and then they became landlords for that. Mm. So that's kind of where essentially that's the REIT story in Ireland and that's it. And then everything else is private equity funds, real estate funds and everything else. And I think that that's kind of He's nailed it here mm. by doing the dog work. On that, on that point, that, that maybe it's worth fleshing out just why it's so important to highlight how much of the second-hand housing these companies are are buying up and what that means for the wider kind of housing. The the central bank of Ireland's kind of policy is that anyone who who's getting a mortgage can't borrow more than three and a half times there is a gross or net income it's the gross income gross income yes yeah, so three and a half times of their kind of gross income be it single or like as a couple that changed recently didn't it yeah yeah so now it's <laughs> under pressure yes yeah, so now it's like four and a half times or it's, or, 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 or it's kind of four times but the logic of that it is that um only only people buy housing the only way they can buy housing is true a mortgage so if we dampen access to mortgage that will that will dampen the housing market the reason why that isn't working is that you've got these guys moving in who've got very deep pockets have got access to billions in terms of the international funds they're not going to a bank for a mortgage right? so, and they don't have to wait until it come it comes up as well on the market i mean no. as the cuckoo funds the kind of so-called cuckoo funds buying up places in Kildare or whatever we're, we're just able to come and get it off the plans before anyone else can move in yeah yeah and and then even down to the to to the distressed kind of mortgages where the Bakuku funds or the other kind of funds or the budget funds can buy up kind of uh, distressed kind of mortgages and then they like sell them on to a third party who whose who, who's objective is to repossess those houses because then they can sell them in bulk so they want to buy 100 units 200 units for a uh, scale so we have all these kind of policies that are that have been that are in place which in theory um, are there to dampen house prices and help kind of um, couples and for young people buy housing but because of the presence of these players that breaks down because they have access to funds outside of what is being legislated for by the uh, by finance and the department and the the Deakin Central Bank, and, and some of that funding comes from directly from the Irish Strategic, yeah. uh, you know, uh, fund which comes from the Irish government. In fact, four of the biggest players are funded partially by that strategic investment fund. So what we have is that public funds are being used to, uh, to finance private companies buying up private housing for private gain. And uh, Daly, he points us to it. He doesn't comment too much on it. Um, but he does point us to it as saying that this is an issue. 
what is the only thing they've brought to the table yeah. here? Yeah. Not stuff that they've purchased from others or purchased via public funding. Mm. What do they actually bring to the table? Yeah. So if you look at it since 2018, which is when, you know, if you're to be fair and he's being fair, you say from 2018 is when you start to see the new builds. If you look at if you look at the stuff before, it's really only secondhand purchases. But the, from 2018, you start to see new builds. So he says, if you exclude that those um, companies that are those funds that are backed by by the Irish state, and you uh, exclude the ones where they actually purchased them directly off Irish home builders, direct, you know, as soon as they built them, then you have um, around 954 units acquired by the top 20 funds which is about 11% of all units that were purchased since 2018. So we have this kind of government policy that's in place, which they say it's about uh, bringing in kind of investors to build housing. And in the 11 years of this scheme being in place, um, well, 13 years of it, they've built less than, than 1,000 units, which is less than, than what Cairn Homes and the other ones have. Oh yeah, well, I mean, have, that's, have built. you know, the, I mean, he has to he has to distinguish, and 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 it's his, it's it's a frustration that he he writes in the intro that it's it's a frustration of the of the available research, and and government documents that they always lump in the Irish home builders with the institutional investors mm. in order to duke the stats in order to show that there's yeah. huge amount of house building by all these people, whereas actually it's Irish home builders who are building homes, <laughs> not these guys. There's no evidence on, in terms of, seemingly no evidence that this is this is naturally going to bring a lot of new investment. There, I mean, there's still a huge amount of secondhand purchasing going on, mm. um, and you know, there's still a huge amount of buying off new Irish home builders, building units, and then um, institutional investors coming along, purchasing straight off them, and then turning them into uh, buy to lets. So letting them out. So, um, I mean, I think it's important. You know, this is not an. It, it's not a neutral thing. There, there's there are several reasons why institutional investors, you know, owning a growing share of rental properties, is bad for renters. <laughs> and I think it's worth teasing out. It's not. You know, there's there's several things, and he points to some of them in this article. But there's there's a wider kind of research around what the problems are and and you know the, he, he cites some of um, some good um, research papers on which look at you know the, the implications you know what's happened in there's American cities where you can point to European cities that are kind of ahead of the curve you know Ireland is not just yeah, Ar- in his, yeah. In his article, you know? there's not it's not just this is not just happening in Dublin it's happening everywhere um, you know the reason why these institutional investors are getting into this game is because there's been incredibly low interest rates. You know, central bank policies. So it, you know, there's been a, a hunt for yield, and the hunt for yield was you know risky commercial real estate, but then it became a hunt for yield into you know risky residential. Now, uh, having said that, that like you know, this is a kind of European wide uh, phenomenon, and 
not to get into Irish exceptionalism, but um, because like, you know, I mean, you know, this is, you know, it's a global kind of, there are global kind of movements here. Nevertheless, the yield or the profit they're making in Ireland is two or three times what they're making anywhere else. Uh, going back to the quote from the head of the guy recently, yeah. said that he feels sorry for the Irish people because they're able to flee some kind of so much. Yeah, because so there's obviously something, there's an added kind of dimension that's going on here that's, that's, that's outside of any kind of European trend. Yeah, there's much less guardrails. I mean, it, you know, if we look at Spain, there's similar, pro, you know, Spain has a similar issue. Like Spain has Blackstone as one of its key kind of, you know, vulture funds, which which was interested early on in Irish distressed real estate, mm. but it is less less of a player. But it it was very much into Spanish, and this is getting off the off the track. But we there's there's clear evidence that Blackstone were buying up units, distressed units from you know homes, and were jacking up rents and were lobbying successfully with the Spanish government at the time just to prevent any kind of um, rent caps or anything else. So they used their huge might in order to change policy. Um, so that's Spain. Here you have a situation where there's very little pushback against the rising, rising rents, apart from the you know um, rent caps in terms of you know rental limits. Um, so you can't rise by more than 4%. But, you know, a lot of these guys will move into huge numbers of units. They'll, they have the, the money to do up apartments to such a degree that they can then get rid of the tenants and evict the tenants and then charge whatever they want for mm. the new property. And they can keep a unit empty as well. And they can keep you, which is a, which is a key thing. That's a mm. key thing. And it's... I think it's a it's a really under undervalued under under underreported dynamic to this, because one of the right wing policy I would call it a right wing policy idea is that when you're when you're free market here, you go the more units we have, the more this the market will determine oh, rent. Tennis balls, guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you have a situation where if you're an institutional landlord, it the Maintaining the rent is more important than maintaining the occupancy, and that's that's crucial. If you're if you're if you if you look at it, if you have a Dublin, if Dublin is full of single landlords, one or two properties, they need to keep those properties with tenants in them, mm. and that means that if if there's suddenly, you know, if suddenly it's a tenants market and you need to you need to find places to rent and it's or it's easy to find places to rent, then the rent can fall. Mm. But if you're in a situation where the ultimate game is to keep the rent as it is. So if it's two and a half, three thousand, and it's not occupied, that rental value is more important to your portfolio. It doesn't make sense from a from the old economic logic of supply and demand, mm. but it makes sense when you understand how this finance works. Mm. The implications are very serious. So, like, going back to this kind of key argument is that, like, you know, what he, what he found is that these arguments that are used in terms of policy, that 
that this is a way of bringing in kind of investment from a policy perspective he's saying well maybe we need to look at that kind of policy because it doesn't seem to be kind of it doesn't seem to be borne out by the facts yeah so he's saying so he's saying of the first thing where the idea that they are contributing to supply he's saying well you have to be very cautious about this because if you strip it out not really you know only 11 percent of new bills since 2018 were financed that weren't being financed by the irish state you know what i mean and weren't being built directly by irish homeowners so therefore no um he also says the growing evidence and literature around europe and abroad is that concentration of, of institutional investors in the rental market pushes up rents i mean that, that is a widespread understanding of, of how it works and the very model of these institutional investors uh, necessitates them putting high rents and maintaining high rents the evidence of their lobbying was that they lobby governments to prevent um, rent drops, rent caps, but also eviction bans. I mean, there's been a lot of talk recently about eviction bans. And, and when uh, Dara Bryan bought his memo to cabinet, in institutional investors were one of the things mentioned in terms of the problems that, that the eviction bans were being brought. I mean, the, the, the narrative was being painted that this was, you know, individual mom and pop landlords were were leaving the market because you know they couldn't get their tenants out because of eviction bans but really the pressure was coming from institutional investors um and then you have he's even saying that uh i mean i i, I think it's important to separate rental from 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 house from house prices but he's even suggesting that the share of you know one in every 10 housing unit bought since 2018 in dublin has been an institutional investor one in 10 mm. and that's growing and it's incredible when you look at so it's 40 percent in dublin one you know 47 percent in dublin two but even when you look at i mean he goes through the list and dublin dublin eight it's 43 percent of all house purchases were institutional you know dublin nine is 33 percent dublin 18 40 percent uh, dublin 11 16 percent glenageary 25 percent there's you know, Dublin 24, 25%. There's a growing concentration of purchases by institutional investors who have huge firepower. And um, that concentration is effectively upping prices. So in terms of like solutions, because I mean, like one of the things that that Daily does here, and um, I'd say like, like maybe it's not his intention. I think maybe it is because he does the way that he is structured his argument he is talking about policy and he is talking about failures in 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 policy um, so that leads to the obvious question then so what policy should be in place so like I think what he's done that is very very useful from a left perspective is that he has he has pretty much shattered the arguments that are put forward for having institutional landlords as a solution to the housing crisis he's saying not only are they not a like solution, uh, they're actually a, a problem. They actually add to the problem, uh, which would back up what a lot of the left says. It's what kind of, it's what, um, you know, um, like Rory Hearn and, you know, you know various, various other kind of commentators will say. Sinn Féin, I think it depends on whether it's raining or not. It just changes from a day to day. Uh, they seem to, to be against kind of institutional landlords, but then they're not really. Against. They have a they have a they have a 
part in the solution as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, so you know, a role. There's a role for them. There's a role for them here. He kind of makes clear is that no, not in a crisis. If you have a perfectly functioning balance where you have a a perfectly functioning social housing, public housing, and private purchase, and then private rental, so those kind of those kind of four elements there. If you have those elements there of the private rental element in an in an ideal world, maybe it is better having professionals in charge of rental properties than having, you know, your ex guard. You know, which is what you know, you know we've had for a hundred years. He's saying that that we don't live in that world. That's not the reality. Um, we have a completely dysfunctional um, housing uh, system. And these are not part of the solution. We know we've given them twelve years, and we know now that they are most definitely not. They they actually adding to the problem. So then that adds to the fact that well, what's the solution then? You know. So what do you do? Yeah. Um, I mean, well, the first thing would be, I guess, to go. I mean, there's such a reluctance to push back against these market players because it would be. I mean, obviously, there's such an extraordinary lobby as well, but to interfere with the market. Because if we were to come along with an actual public housing policy or strategy, that would interfere with the market. It would interfere with these guys. It would interfere with their with their ultimate margins. And yeah, I mean... That's a, that's a big fight, you know, that's... But one of the arguments that's been kind of put forward now, even by, by RTE of the Gold Paces, uh, by kind of David Murphy of the RTE, is that maybe it's time to start talking about as a, a state a stay house builder, you know, just a state company that would, that, that would build housing. Do we go there? Boom, boom, boom. It's gone. We are there. Hmm. What he shows here is that we have the, the state building housing, it's funding the, the, yeah. the, 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 the yeah. building. Of housing now, but it's doing it in order to maximise profit for private companies. Yeah. Yeah. So the there is no practical block here. Mm. The this is purely ideological. Yeah. That there is there is an ideological block on having a fully state funded, state run, um, public housing uh, building kind of company. We have public money being used to subsidise and maximise private profits. Yeah. Like in any market, like in any functioning market that they refer to, there's always the government stepping in and yeah. actually subsidising it so that it can actually work. Because if the government wasn't st- wasn't stepping in, there would be no affordable housing at all. Like there would be no new bills, no affordable housing. It would just be a free for all. Hmm. I mean, that's so. It, it's the argument. It's not about whether the the state steps in or not. The state has stepped in. The state. It is a player. It's all about what role. Does it play now that it is there? And what we have at the moment is that it, its role is that if we maximum, if we subsidize profit for these companies, uh, they will build more housing. And they're going no, that's not what they do. They, if they, their pure function is to maximize profit for their shareholders or for their investors. That is it, and it's not working. And. Um, Again, going back to like in any kind of housing kind of system, you have uh, private rental, public rental, and then and then private purchase. Uh, none of those three are working. And but the state, it's a player in all three of them. So it's about what role should they have? And it seems that 
the most logical one is direct build because what, what this shows is that there's a huge problem with supply and they are not they're not meeting that like supply need uh, and they're not going to ever because it's not in their interests because more supply might damage kind of profits direct build a solution seems to be the best solution given the crisis that we're in now um, but that would that would upset uh, profits for these uh, for, for, for these for these kind of companies. Mm -hmm. So so we have a housing housing policy at the moment that's based on maximizing profit. We're told that if we maximize profit, they would build more housing. Mm -hmm. And what Daily has shown is that that is not the case. Yeah, and I mean, for the left to form a alternative strategy an alternative call for what needs to happen there needs to be guardrails put on institutional investors and there needs to be serious guardrails on their capacity to buy up and rent it because what they do is they buy up and they rent at high market rents um, and that has serious issues for social cohesion yeah. and we've, we're starting to see it so as, as well as that those guardrails there has to be a call for direct build there has to be a way to build and subsidize directly so that people can afford to live mm. in cities and it's also and, and you know just kind of building that point that, that like you know it's about kind of putting in place a direct build policy for these institutional landlords as well that they cannot buy anything if they build it knock yourselves out mm. that's no problem at all mm. if you want to build um that's grand and then you know have that as a market that's fine but you can't purchase any third-party housing you can't purchase in bulk any any third party, you know, you know, like housing, and you don't get money from the state to build kind of public housing. Um, if you want to build it, knock yourselves out. But that's not the case here, like, you know, at all. So, if you're going to have these as players, it should be very very clear that if you want to take some land, build on that, and then rent out those as kind of buy to you know, to let that knock yourselves out. But you don't interfere with the with a extremely dysfunctional market and then bringing you it you know as a player into this as well it's simply not working hmm. yeah i think the left has to have a response to the notion of investment as well like the idea would be you're you you are scaring off investment if you go after these institutional investors at all there's international investment happening and you're against investment hmm. but you know investing in homes as an asset class is not a good thing. It, no. it is not a beneficial thing. It is a bad thing. There are market practices that are actually antisocial and problematic for society, and we need to look at them and be knowledgeable about them and, and counter them. There's a there's a very good um, there's a very good paper uh, that um, Pierce Daly refers to. It's called "My Home as an Asset Class," and it's about the rise in the, the rise across Europe in housing as an asset class. It's by uh, Daniela, Daniela Gabor, who's, who's brilliant on Twitter as well. She's really, um, I think she's Romanian. She's fantastic, kind of really smart on finance, but really, really good on the need for public investment, public banking, public finance. So a really good counter to the notion that if you're left-wing, you have to be anti-finance. You know, this is not about being anti-finance. It's about being 
against the notion of turning you know homes and things into asset classes and the alternative role that governments can play in terms of providing capital um, and you know for instance that the government could supply mortgages that the government could could set a rent and get a rental income from you and use that rental income in a good way that these kind of forms of public housing need to be looked at as as ways to counter this move into housing as an asset class yeah i mean like like obviously the overall the overall solution is a 32 county socialist republic right that's the overall kind of solution short of that happening in the morning what do we do right so so this isn't saying this isn't some kind of blair right this is the way forward is going well short of that revolution happening kind of tomorrow uh what do we do and i think this is what's interesting about these things is that like you know you know it's you know it's saying that there are radical things which the government and the opposition could it could put forward like it's for another day but 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 i find the like i just see it as a very kind of post-colonial self-hatred um kind of psychosis in ireland where they say we cannot scare off the investors yeah. you know it's, it's such a post-colonial kind of you know yeah. because like it's, it's it's been going on since the the, the the 1950s now i i'd argue that like you know it's kind of curiosity on part of the gombeans you know who've been using that kind of psychosis for their own kind of policy and kind of strategies uh, that's that, that's my whole kind of comfort kind of argument but it is interesting that even today in, in the 2023 that's what journalists in Ireland will say mm-hmm. they will make those arguments they, they will say to Conor Breen you will scare up on investors mm-hmm. and then Sinn Féin are worried because they're thinking are we going to lose votes into the hook middle classes so then they kind of back down and say oh there's a role mm-hmm. for these players when you have um, a researcher in the Central Bank of Ireland doing a PhD in UCD, which is a concert with two conservative institutions. You can't get much more kind of conservative from an intellectual per- a perspective in the South than fucking UCD and the Central Bank of Ireland. And he's saying, I don't really see much role uh, yeah. for these guys here. And you have like Sinn yeah. Fein, or I, I don't know about the like soft Dems, but like I, I presume that they're on the. the the same page saying that well you know we can't scare off the you know they bring something to the table they bring chaos to the table well let's let's take the tech firms and the pharmaceutical firms and all the different investments that we desperately want to hold on to if you, you know you you could like the commentary that we have to be careful about losing jobs because we're so you know fdi is so important in ireland fine that that argument's fine i i understand why people are making those arguments about in terms of policy but those, those tech firms, those pharmaceutical giants, they're all screaming from the rooftops that we need to sort our housing policy out because they can't get employees, because people are leaving in droves, because they can't rent here. Mm. You know, it, the big tech firms are all really concerned about Irish housing policy. Yeah. So, like, it is possible to separate out different forms of investment. Mm. But, not, but not when it comes to the public kind of debate, because, it, you know, it's like, I mean, I know this even from talking about corporation tax in the trade union movement you can't you can't talk about the 12.5 percent of our like that whole scam in the Irish trade union movement as a movement now They're because you're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater like, oh we lose kind of all these things yeah. and it's jobs all that. Just, what the fuck are you talking about yeah. you know what i mean like you know so um but yeah um state build and then you put 
as you say kind of guardrails uh, or like Chinese walls all around the, the institutional landlords where they can build but they have to become new builds and they can only rent out what, what they build themselves what they build themselves not what they buy off contour party kind of builders they need to do direct build themselves as well and to do that then there's a role for them and that seems to be what kind of daily is saying like you know he's saying that there was the assumption this would be their role but they haven't done that they're mm-hmm. just buying off the they bought off name that's not that's not that's not going on out so now they're doing some build but it's mainly kind of buying off like tour party kind of builders and he's saying it's quite well he's more or less saying that's a policy failure